If you'd turn this morning to the third chapter of the book of Colossians, and Paul now shifts that he always does from these great doctrines of faith in the first two chapters. You know, he's talked about salvation, the supremacy of Christ, and grace and mercy and reconciliation. You know, these are wonderful things. The resurrection, that one day we who are alive in him will be resurrected with him. The regeneration that's happened because we're found in Christ. And he now shifts gears. You see, because you, you can never really focus in on just the doctrine. Because if you do, you lose the whole point of it. Because it's supposed to turn into duty. It, it's supposed to go from what we know to what we do. And so now the Apostle Paul speaking to us as believers. What do we do with this so great a salvation that we have? How does it work out in our lives? What does it look like? How can we really have heaven while we're still here on this earth? You, you see, we have Jesus. You know, we get our little checkbox, check, got Jesus. We can't add anything to grace, amen? Another check, check. Got grace, check. Grace abounds. The law's been taken care of by his grace, Check. And you could just go down this long list of all these many benefits and blessings that we have by being his people, amen? We just start checking off all the boxes. What are you going to do with that? What's that look like when you go out and you face the world? How does that affect you as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a son, as a daughter, as a citizen? You see, to know these things and to do nothing with them would be tragedy. And so now we have the tough part. We have to go put it to practice. Very often people will come to me and say, how oh, great message. And I, and I will ask them very frequently, well, I'm glad you were, you, you were moved and touched and God spoke to you, but I hope it affects your life once you leave the front doors of the church. Amen? You don't want to just keep it here. It isn't something you kind of hoard up. And so... First, as we turn to chapter 3 here, we get this incredible message of heaven on earth. Father, thank you for your people, for your word, and for this time. And would you speak to us now with the wonder that is your word. God, encourage us and strengthen us. Build us up, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Colossians 3. For if then, now remember, you're looking back. So he's referring to the first two chapters. This letter was written to a real church, real problems, real believers. So if then you were raised with Christ, which you are, you're raised up in newness of life now, amen? Your mind is being renewed. You have all these transformative things that are occurring in your life. So if then you were raised with Christ, notice what it says. Get your mind off the things on the earth. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is. Obviously, he's not talking about trying to seek the throne of God or the majesty of heaven. He's talking about bringing heavenly principles and now put them to practice while you're here on this earth. He's sitting at the right hand of God. But set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died. Brothers and sisters, when you said yes to Jesus, you croaked. You died. 
And it is now no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. You died. The old you died. You used to be dead in your trespasses and sins, and now he has made you alive in him. The old you is gone. Now, unfortunately, the old you still is trying to come back to life. The old you, every once in a while, dials up your number and said, hey, I'm still here. We call that a sin nature, right? The old you doesn't go quietly into the night. But the old you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You have a new power source. You have new abilities. New knowledge, new understanding. The Lord's at work in you. For when Christ, and notice this, please underline it and read it correctly. Who is our life? Not part of your life, not a compartment of your life, not a little smidgen of your life. You didn't get smeared with a little Jesus. Christ now is your life. If you're hidden in him, then when someone sees you, they're supposed to see Jesus. When someone talks to you, they're supposed to be talking to Jesus. When you go to work, you you work as though Jesus would work. You, You see, Christ is your life, fully your life, not a part of. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. How to have heaven on earth. You see, when you think of this, this passage, the, these final two chapters, Paul's going to move. He, he, it, it does us no good. It does us zero good to declare a truth, to defend that truth, and to fail to demonstrate that truth. If you declare it and you defend it, you should demonstrate it. Amen? It should be real, so when people talk to you, you don't belie the things you say with what you do. Because people don't believe that you've been transformed and changed. You're not hidden in Christ if what they see is the dirt of the world. That's why our doctrine, what we believe about Christ, is supposed to match our duty, what we do for Christ. Amen? Very important principle. Much of the problem that the church faces in the world is because there is a disparity between those things. We say we believe this, but we do not live as though we believe that. In other words, the actions that we undertake don't support the verbal confession we make with our mouths. Titus chapter 1 verse 16 actually says, For they profess to know God, but in their works they deny him. It's a very plain statement that the apostle makes to another one of his understudies in ministry, Titus. He says, look, it's important that those two things match up. And we have to keep in mind when Paul was writing these things, uh, basically that religion as they knew it in that day and time really was kind of more of a philosophical understanding than anything else. People believed something religiously. But that's where it stayed. In other words, they went to church, they did their duty, they, they you know, took care of their conversations or churchiness, and then it stayed at church. It did not actually affect, nor did it transform their life. They just went to church, kind of got their duty over with of going to church, and then when they left, they were still stone-cold heathens, right? 
They just went right back to doing the very same things that they were doing before they went to church in the morning. Can I tell you there are some Christians that act that way too? Show up here. Praise the Lord! Dude, can you light the bowl for me, man? You know what I'm saying? And some of you are, you just got thumped with a rock, right? It's okay, it's supposed to work that way. Doctrine's supposed to become duty. So when someone offers you that beer, you're going to go, no, you know, I just don't think it honored the Lord. Someone invites you to that party to where they're doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing. It's supposed to have transformed your life so that you go, that's not what a child of God does anymore. That relationship that two weeks ago was one way, you're now going, look, I can't live like this anymore because Jesus Christ died for me. You you see, you don't want to become a worshiper who then goes and worships at the idol once you get done worshiping God. You got to have singleness of purpose and heart and mind and action. If we want heaven here on this earth, we have to seek it out, folks. And here's the hard part. Look, we have dual citizenship. My brother Chet Lowe, and he, he's kind of an odd, he's, well, he's strange. He's weird, I can say that, he's my brother. <laughs> he has dual citizenship. He's actually, whether you know it or not, he's actually a Bahamian citizen. He's from the Bahamas. Now, if you know anything about the Bahamas, nobody is at war with the Bahamas, Okay. Nobody in the entire world is worried about what the Bahamas are going to do militarily. So he has two passports. He literally has dual citizenship. He has a Bahamian passport. He has a U.S. passport. Here's the cool thing, and I hate him for this. When we travel together, when he leaves the United States, he pulls out his U.S. passport. He shows the customs agent the passport. Boom, good, get on the plane. When he goes and lands somewhere else, he takes out his Bahamian passport and shows it to him. He automatically gets to go in the shortest line because the Bahamas are at war with no one. I show my American passport. They want to inspect whether I brought a seed from some farmland in Montana or something, you know. And I have to go through all this. He's over there waving, you know. Just. He's got dual citizenship. Do you know as a Christian you have dual citizenship? You have citizenship here on this earth, and with that are rights and privileges. There's also responsibility, but you have a greater responsibility to that one-day place that you will actually be fully and completely, which is heaven. So in that sense, you have dual citizenship, just like Chet. We have one calling, we have two venues. We have one purpose, but we have two passports. One is good for here, and one gets us there. And that's the really good one. But while we're here, we still have to live as citizens of this earth. And so the Apostle Paul shows us how to do that. You've you got to have some produce that comes out of your life. Now, if you have any fruit trees, if you plant trees in your yard, and you, you plant a fruit tree specifically, you plant a fruit tree with the promise of fruit, right? Not leaves. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace and long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, all those things. Do you notice that those are things that affect the way you live? 
goodness, meekness, self those are all things where you relate to people. Gentleness. That's how you live your life, here and now. Not later. When you get to heaven, you're going to be completely filled with God's love. You won't need those restraints on your life that you need here. See, I need those restraints on my life because it's not easy in this life to be long-suffering. It's not easy to be gentle. Sometimes it's not easy to be kind. We need help doing that, and so we have to walk in the Spirit. That's that proper strategy for living right here and right now. When we think through these things, how are we going to make that happen? Let's look at some of the ways that that happens. There are really five of them in these few short verses. First thing that we see is because we died with Christ. The old you died. The new you is being resurrected. The new you is being transformed. You now live a new life in Christ Jesus as your Lord. What you used to be, you no longer are. What you are becoming, you are still working on and getting better at day to day. You see, we died with Christ. And so these two things, look, Christ didn't just die substitutionarily. In other words, he didn't just die as your substitute. He didn't go to Calvary's cross because you couldn't take care uh, of your own sin. That's not the only reason he went there. He also died to set you free so that you could be identified with him. So in that sense, there's a dual purpose for it. Yes, he had to die for you because you could not die for yourself, but now you are actually identified with his life, not just his death. Too many people just identify with the death of Christ, which is great. You need to do that. You need to receive that gift, of course. But how about identifying with his life? How about living the way he wants us to live? You see, we died with the old you, the old habits, the old hangouts, the old human relationships. And because those old things died, you can now actually really live. You see, you used to live for the old things, amen? The old things were your life. Now you can live for the new things, the new glory, the new perspective. That's why we set our mind on the things above Not on the things here. Too many people have their eyes focused on the stuff here. That's how we become materialistic. That is how we become carnal. That's how we become sensual. If you're not focusing on heaven, you focus here, then all you've got's here. And so you focus on the things of here. You're supposed to focus on the things there. It changes your perspective. So the first thing, we died with Christ. The second thing, because we live in Christ. And I want you to understand something here. Heavenly life, eternal life, is not some substance like the force in Star Wars. It's not like something that gets smeared on you when you become a Christian. It is not some magical superpower or some Pokemon stop ball thing that you get if you go play over there. Eternal life is something that you now have because you died in Christ. It's Christ himself. It's who he is. 
When you have Jesus in you, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Christ in you is now your hope of glory. You didn't just kind of get dipped with a little Jesus. You didn't get sprinkled with a few Jesus flakes. He actually dwells in you in that sense. And in that sense, he now is your life. He's not part of your life. He's not a little compartment of your life. Too many Christians live their life as though Jesus is a compartment of their life. Here's my Jesus. He's over here in this box. I'm 12.375% Jesus. I just made that up. You're all thinking, wow, where did he get that figure? Nowhere. But we're part Jesus. When in fact we're supposed to be 100% Jesus. He who has the Son hath life. Amen? But if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. That life is eternal life. When you have Christ, you're all in. You're not part in. You can't be part a believer. So many Christians live their lives as though they're kind of sort of partially a Christian. You talk to them at church, Bible verses, Christianese, they they talk about Christian stuff, and you see them anywhere else, and you would never know that they're actually Christians. That should not be the way we live our lives. Life is what you're alive to. Be alive to Christ. We were out on the fishing boat yesterday. You talk about fishing with fishing fishermen? Oh my goodness. I had a dude take me over to his tackle box. Yeah, I got this when I was 12 years old. He's like, he's like 100 years old, and he's looking at his tackle box. <laughs> he's got all this stuff in there, and he can tell you, yeah, I got this at this tackle shop, on, you know, and he can tell me everything about it. When you talk to a fisherman about fishing, they go crazy. Their eyes light up. Can you imagine if every believer lit up like that when they talked about Jesus? Amen? Think about it. Somebody mentions the name Jesus. Oh, my Savior! I remember when I got saved and what he did in my life. You you see, we live in Christ in that sense. We don't live for this world. We We live in this world. We don't live for it. What are you alive to? Are you alive to Christ? A third thing. We're hidden in him. That means our complete security, our complete satisfaction, all that we are, we're hidden in him. Now, I have to confess, I like the Mission Impossible movies. I don't necessarily care for Tom Cruise's, you know, some of the silly things he does at times, but I like the movies. They're fairly harmless, and they always have cool stuff, and I like cool stuff. But you ever noticed how everything, every task he's given to do is like completely that's why they call it mission impossible completely impossible right totally protected and yet somehow he can get in can i tell you this because you're hidden in christ no one can snatch you out of your father's hands amen you are in a maximum security safe called jesus and tom cruise ain't getting in Sorry, ladies. No one can get to you because Jesus 
is the one that keeps you. His grace has saved you and made you whole. And to that end, one day you're actually going to be glorified in Christ. I look forward totally to the rapture of the church. I'm like, yes, Lord, come get us. Bring it on. I want to go home. But you know what? Even if I live out my life, and he takes me home by what we would call natural causes, the result's still the same. I'm going to be glorified in Christ. When he appears, I'm going to appear with him. I'm going to even glow like he glows eventually. I can't wait for that day. So right now, all I got is kind of sunburn from yesterday. It's not actually Shekinah. I'd like you know get some of the real stuff going on. You, you see, when he's revealed in his glory, we're going to be revealed. But from Paul's perspective, as he writes to the church at Rome, come on Thursday nights as we study the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8 says, we already have been glorified. Why? Because it's a past action with present results with a future expectation. One day the full event's going to happen. It's rather like Joshua and Caleb. All of those who were under 20 vanished in the wilderness because they had no faith. But Joshua and Caleb said, look, we haven't even seen it. What we believe is this. God gave us Canaan, and we're going to go take it. They lived as though it was a reality right then, right there. We need to live that way as Christians. It should affect our lives on a daily basis. Our lives should be so radically transformed that when we talk about that future glorification, man, I'm on my way to glory. Not, well, I hope I make it. Too many Christians are, I hope I make it. I don't know, you know, maybe someday. Because of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross, God already sees you in Christ Jesus as fully glorified. Hallelujah. Because left up to us, we're in deep trouble, amen? And praise the Lord, that's not the reason for your glory. Your glory is Christ's glory. It's Christ in you that's your hope of glory. How do we have this heavenly life right now? Secrets right here in verse 2. And I love the literal translation of seek those things which are above. Because what it says in the original language is this. Habitually, continually, set your mind, your attention, your very being on the things that are above and not on the things of this earth. You see the little bit of difference there? It's not come to church and get a little glimpse. It's be so focused on heavenly things that your view gets changed. That when you wake up every day, you're looking for another glimpse of heaven because that's all you think about. Your expectation in your present reality is transformed. You see, when I'm expecting something, we were fishing yesterday, Every, I can tell you this, as a fisherman, I don't throw my bait in the water going, I throw my bait in the water believing that every time I toss it out there, that some big, huge, gigantic fish is going to bite it. 
Now, my reality is, sometimes they're this big. But my expectation is this big. That's the way we're to live as believers. My reality is, sometimes I don't quite get what I'm thinking I'm going to get, but my expectation is huge. It's eternal. Because I'm keeping my mind on things above. I'm believing the big one. Amen? I'm not thinking, well, you know, I hope I get you know, something slightly smaller than my bait. I'm hoping at that time like a giant 500-pound bluefin tuna comes from Hawaii and sucks that thing up, and I'm like getting in the water with the fish. Live expecting the Lord to do amazing heavenly things. Seek those things which are above. The great things, the grand things, the glorious things. The Christ-revealed heavenly things are feet on this earth, but our mind is on heaven, brothers and sisters. Expectant lives. I expect God to do amazing things in my life. I expect Him to do the things He's promised to do. There is no maybe about it. There's no, well, I kind of think so. I live my life that way. I don't know what he's going to do all day, every day, but I know this, he's going to do it. I don't know what he'll allow. He may allow a trial. He may allow a test. He may give me a difficulty. But I know this, it's all working towards glory. And so I can live that heavenly life right now. Why? Because Christ is my life. And I would leave you with this thought. What would happen to you? What would happen to you? What would happen to each of you if Christ was removed from your life? What would happen? Would people barely notice? Would your children not even realize anything happened? Or would you cease to exist? Would you cease to exist because Christ is your life and if someone took the Christ out of you, there'd be nothing left? Now, I mean to depress no one. We can all use some extra work in our lives. Amen? Work towards, if someone removed Christ, there'd be nothing left. And if you're one of those people that if Christ was removed, very little would change, then ask for the Holy Spirit to give you the power to allow God to do the work that needs to be done in you so that it can be said of you, Christ is my life. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? I want to encourage you 
The good news is this. If you seek him, you'll find him. And if you ask of him, he will do. And so as we close in prayer, maybe you came today and there's just some areas of your life where you can honestly say, man, it'd be tough to find Jesus in that part of my life. And Christ is not your life. Maybe you need to pray with somebody. We have an amazing prayer team, a bunch of pastors in there, elders who would love to pray with you. And so please avail yourself of the prayer room. For the rest of us, man, let's work at having so much Jesus that people can't find anything else in us, that our lives are hidden in him, and that he is our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that it is your grace and your mercy, Lord, your forgiveness that covers all of our iniquities, Lord, that you remember not our transgressions. To those who have believed and received that grace gift, become your children, Lord. You're at work transforming us day by day. Would you make us so much like you, Jesus, that if you were removed from our lives, There'd be nothing left. We thank you. We love you that that's all possible by your spirit. That you can and will and long to do. Or that work that makes us like you. And so bless us with your presence in every area of our life. We thank you. We praise you. We ask all of it in Jesus' name. God's people said. Amen. Amen. Amen.